Hello and welcome to Centre for Mental Health's podcast, where we explore ideas around mental health, equality and social justice. I'm your host, Thea Joshi, and in each episode we talk to people with lived experience, those working in a specific area of mental health, or some of our own team, to share what we're doing in the fight for equality in mental health. Earlier this month, I caught up with Dr Amy Pollard, who is our new writer-in-residence. And as I say in the podcast, her writing and her speaking sometimes blows my mind. We had a fascinating conversation. We discussed her lived experience of bipolar disorder and the way she has drawn on sometimes very painful experiences to distill ideas which can be held and shared with others. We also discussed her first piece as our writer-in-residence, where she discusses loneliness in mental health and puts it in the context of the Enlightenment as well as exploring how the Enlightenment has shaped our thinking about concepts such as rationality and madness. I'm really happy to say we're here with Dr. Amy Pollard, who is the founder and director of the Mental Health Collective, and uh, she's also our newest writer-in-residence. So hi, Amy, it's lovely to be here with you. Hello, I'm very happy to be here. So firstly, I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about the Mental Health Collective, kind of where did the idea come from? Um, Yeah, can you tell us a bit more? So uh, we incorporated in September 2018, so we're just coming up to our our third anniversary, which is quite exciting. Um, And I suppose it came out out of me, basically, kind of feeling a bit stuck and feeling like I needed, I really, I felt very cool to kind of try and make my fullest contribution that I could in the mental health space, but it was a bit like, um, I couldn't really find the right vehicle to, to take me forward in it. So I kind of basically built my own life, tried <laughs> to build my own life raft in order to, in order to like sail on my journey, basically. Um, and then having done that, discovered that there were lots of other people who were, you know, wanting to go in their own journeys in, in different directions. So it's been, um, it's been an incredible adventure and um, it's taken me by surprise um, so much, but to sort of tell you about me. So I'm, I'm a comprehensive school girl um, who studied social anthropology for years and years and years um, into my PhD. So I guess my education is really kind of all, all through, it was really about culture in diverse communities of, of, of different kinds. Um, and I started my career, I worked for, for 10 years in, in international development and, and focused very much on like a power and voice and accountability, like working particularly in charities and government, academia, and kind of swirling around that, that world. Um, and it went pretty well, you know, I, I was quite successful, did some, did some cool stuff, you know, we did a, a big global campaign that culminated in the sustainable development goals. But uh, <laughs> during that period, I kept getting really, really, really unwell. Um, so I have a bipolar diagnosis and um, so I had these kind of spectacular falls like in amongst in amongst those periods that were that were good and um you know the first time it happened I sort of dusted myself down and you know got back on the horse and, and sort of took pride in in trying not to let it derail me and then the second time it happened I sort of looked at my work-life balance and started mm. sort of being much more serious about self-care and thinking okay you know like this doesn't have to ruin your life and your career you probably just need to take like take better care of yourself um but then it happened for a third time and I was like hmm okay it's yeah. probably time for a strategic review so yeah um <laughs> yeah 
so then I kind of thought well you know instead of basically seeing like life and and like me going and being sort of existing in one sphere and like work existing in another sphere and then basically like my health problems sort of pulling against what Mm. I'm able to contribute professionally like if I pivot into the mental health sector so that you know when I'm learning and contributing professionally like that will that will improve you know what I'm how I'm able to look after myself personally I took that step and and to be honest at the time I thought that was going to mean jettisoning like all of the expertise and all of the Mm. um like you know all the stuff basically that I'd learned in my professional career today and I thought I would end up retraining as a you know psychiatrist or a psychologist or a social worker or you know one of those things that I would see as like the professions in in the mental health space which frankly was like a bit sad but also you know I kind of thought that's just how it was and to get the lie of the land I, I got a, a, a more junior job um, working in policy for a little bit just to get my bearings um, but then during that time I, I kind of basically came to thinking that just looking around at, at the mental health world it, it seems to me that actually like those that that expertise I built up around power and voice and accountability like are actually quite useful in the mental health world like the mental health space isn't falling over itself with social anthropologists and it doesn't actually <laughs> like the social science base um with some notable exceptions is is um quite impoverished i would say compared to compared to other arenas um and it seems to me that there was a lot to bring and that like you know not just myself but probably other people could could bring a lot new ideas and new kind of vigor perhaps and and freshness you know to that to that world um maybe by bringing not only um professional expertise but but a kind of lived experience yeah. to, to to bear mm-hmm. and it seems to me that like you know this people talk about like the biopsychosocial model that really <laughs> like those three points in the triangle are not equally weighted and it's appreciating the context I think um and you know the cultural context is is something that I think is is very frequently overlooked um, for for everyone, you know, for especially for marginalised, racialised um, communities, but but for mainstream society too. I don't think we pay very much attention often to um, the, the the social context and the cultural context in which um, unwellness emerges. It's quite often quite obvious, frankly, when you when you when you come to look at it. One of the things I think has been like it caused a huge celebration over recent years when people have been taking more of an interest in like the structural causes of poverty, structural causes of mental ill health. That's all really good. But I think sometimes um, the metaphor of a structure that, that is implied in that framing um, can sometimes uh, put us on the wrong, like get us imagining things in the wrong way. Like because if you if you think of a structure as in like something solid, right? Like something that's immovable like a structure is what is the bones of the house for example or or, you know there's a solidity to it and I think that um you know you've got to choose you've got to choose your metaphors but I think that um it's important not to be too fixed on on structure as your metaphor because sometimes if you if you were to experiment thinking about it as as fluid Mm. or as um like uh, uh, you know there's different there's other sorts of ideas that you can you can use to appreciate like the um the context in which we're 
in which we're living, you can dislodge and look and dislodge some of the like assumptions that make uh, difficult problems seem intractable. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I was saying to Amy before that um, her writing and her speaking just blows my mind um, because you just have this really fresh, interesting way of thinking about society and specifically about mental health. And we will get into that talking about your first piece. Um, but I guess I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about like what has the um, Mental Health Collective been doing? Because I know you've done um, multiple different activities and projects and I just I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Um. So yeah, with since 2018, we've we've experimented really. We've had a bunch of different projects. Um, we started out doing a thing uh, called self-defense through humor, working with young people to design a, a training program all about how we can use humor to defend ourselves against threats to our mental health. Um, That's which, amazing. <laughs> it was really cool. It was really really good fun. Um, and um, yeah, we co-produced it alongside like a bunch of young people. Uh, 13 and 14 year olds who were um who worked with us when they were studying towards their GK Edinburgh awards um and then uh ran it as a program in a, in a few different schools and also at King's College London um and then we used that project as a springboard to uh do a piece called uh, phone zombies which was a project all about like what's really going on with mobile phones and mental health you know and like from the perspective of young people themselves um so we did a, a an amazing uh like jointly created uh, research piece with uh, with the young people with like trying to figure out like are we all turning into zombies on our phones or is this just a moral panic like you know historically there's been you know every time a disruptive technology comes along um you know that that just that 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 changes the community changes communication patterns and of course that shifts power relationships and everyone freaks out and blah 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 blah, blah. you know so like in this in the 50s um people thought that uh, rock and roll was poisoning all the teenagers' minds. And is this just like that again? Um, but anyway, that was really that was really fascinating. And we it culminated in this um, April Fool's joke where we got uh, people from all around the country pretending that they were turning into zombies on their phones and like marching on London to come and eat the Queen. And <laughs> it was it was really cute and silly. But the thing that we've been uh, that's really exploded and became like our kind of our big thing is um, a project called Kindness by Post which is um, it's random acts of kindness exchange. Basically, people, members of the public, uh, who anyone who lives in the UK can sign up to send a card or a letter with a message of goodwill um, to someone they don't know. And then they get allocated someone to send a card or letter to them. So it's like a giant secret center. You don't know who's, who's sending to you. It's, it'll be a different person than the one you're sending to. Um, and then everyone posts the cards that they send and receive on, on social media. And you get this just extraordinary blizzard of gorgeous loveliness. It's, so, it's, oh, always, wow. it's just so gorgeous. Like I thought, I thought I would get bored of it. I thought everyone would get bored of it. But um, but yeah, like it's so strange how how you know I I I'll often I always post this point myself and like I'll send off my card and and weirdly find it kind of poignant to sit there and take a space to sort of think what can I say to this stranger that that might sort of lift them on this day and I always think I'm doing it to give to somebody else but then when something falls through my own door like it just pricks my eyes every time and like you know it doesn't always happen but but so frequently I'll open that envelope and they'll say something that really resonates or like catches me off guard and makes me realize oh no you know I thought I was fine but actually like you know there is a vulnerability in me that needs to be spoken mm. to today um 
And that's what that's the thing I'm most proud of it in it is a project is that it makes a movement from the way that each of us are, have a lot of strength and something to offer and something powerful in that everyday kindness. But but each of us also like have that vulnerability and like you're never you're never so you're never so sorted that you can't benefit from a bit of kindness from someone. That's incredible. And um, I just I just love that idea. And I also love the fact that it goes on social media because, you know, as as you're aware, as we're all aware, sometimes it's such a place of, um, yeah, vitriol and not nice things. And it's just so lovely to think that those things are being posted, like lots of loveliness. And so uh, we will obviously um, link in the show notes to the collective and for people to get involved in that. Yeah, our next exchange is in the autumn. So yeah, sign up and noted. Um, you told us earlier a little bit about um, your experience of bipolar and I just wondered if you wanted to share a little bit more about that and how it's kind of led you to this point and um, I guess led you to the writing that you're doing for us at the centre. Yeah um, I guess obviously there's as many different types of bipolar as there are people with bipolar. My journey with it has basically been towards kind of surfing and swimming in that energy rather than rather than drowning so I guess what happens to me is that um, I'll have like periods where I sort of toddle along like more or less as normal and then there'll be times when I'm just sort of struck or kind of it it can feel like being in the hold of a a kind of energy and a a kind of set of ideas and observations and kind of creative stuff that kind of feels like it really needs to to come out and it's it's sort of like a a kind of diamond that that won't leave you alone you know that, that kind of really needs to be um, really needs to be got out there um, and so I've kind of been building a relationship with that kind of side of myself for a long time um, and coming from an anthropological background um, my strategy has really been to, to take notes so um, I've been taking notes on these kind of what I say psychological field trips um, since 2006 you know when I when I sort of go into a slightly sort of altered altered state of consciousness and I think it's to be perfectly honest, I don't really think it's that special. I think it's it's kind of like the the type of consciousness that you might get, like in between asleep, being asleep and being awake, like that kind of hypagogic um, modality. And like women get it, uh, like often when they're just about to give birth, like it's like kind of coexistence of subconscious and conscious forces that sort of swell, that sort of swell. And you have like the trick is to sort of learn to let it go and to learn to like surf with that energy basically um which is easier said than done um but can be done definitely can be done um like basically after each of my kind of psychological field trips I I always try and like write up the notes like I take I take literal notes but I always sometimes that's not possible I try and crystallize like what that experience was like in various ways whether that's through artwork or or um a story like writing or like some other kind of kind of expression and it's a bit like um you know how like a rising like the waves going in and out will kind of smash pebbles on a beach and kind of gradually turn a very sharp rock into something that that is is smooth and can be sort of comfortably held yeah um and what I what I'm attempting to do is take some very what have been very sharp and painful like stones to be mm. like which have felt like they were being hurled at me quite frankly yeah um and like gradually over the years like take the sharp edges off and get them to a point where they can be held and even like passed to somebody else wow. um so 
Yeah, like I said, I mean, I don't think it's that special in a way because I, I can see the continuities between like the experiences that I have, have and, then, and then, you know, what everyone deals with on a daily basis. But equally, it's a bit like giving birth insofar as like it's very difficult and it can be quite painful and feel quite frightening. Um, and it's special, you know, but on another level, like there's one born every minute, right? And like, you know, <laughs> it's, that, it's, that, it's that duality. Like on one level, it's very banal and very ordinary. Um, and on another level, it's like the most important and special thing you could possibly do. I, I just love, uh, firstly, thank you for sharing that with us because, you know, obviously it's it's personal, but I am love and I'm fascinated by the way you conceptualise it, the way you talked about taking notes. Almost, I wonder, does that help you sort of externalise it a little bit and kind of put a little bit of distance between you and what's going on almost? Yeah, so again, I think there's two key functions to it. One is that it's a promise to myself that this too shall pass, you know, because if you write a note to yourself, then you're intrinsically implying that there's something worth capturing there. And it has a sense of future, right? Because you're going to look back at it. I love um, that. I love that. So, <laughs> so that's really crucial. And I think that, you know, the advice that you that people get when when they say, oh, no, you know, if you can't, if you're lying awake at night and you can't sleep, just write it, write all your thoughts on a piece of paper and then put them in a bin. Like, do not put them in the bin, for heaven's sake. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, no, I think I think sort of holding on to what your what that material can can offer you. Um, is 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 hugely important and 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 yeah like those difficult intrusive thoughts that, that one gets um I don't think it is a I don't think the aim of the game is pushing them away or or silencing them or like dampening them down the aim of the game is is building a relationship with those parts of yourself um and so for me like writing the notes enables that conversation so it's more like crystallizing the parts so uh, for example, like one of my note-taking strategies is that I have I have two Twitter accounts. I have like a, a public-facing, like you know, here I am trying to present this relatively normal kind of kind of life. <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Yeah, like suitable for public consumption one. And then I have another one which is um, which is like trying to engage more lovingly in difficult things. So that's like a note-taking a note-taking uh, forum which is a private account and it's only followed by a very, very, very small number of trusted people. But um, when I'm dealing with material that's particularly difficult, I will take notes in that space so that it's potentially viewable by people who care about me and who I trust. Yeah. And so when you're dealing with materials that feels dangerous, then it's within the gift of other people to intervene and to be like hey this sounds like it's getting a bit much yeah, doesn't yeah. it like this seems like a wave that's crashing over your head and it's, it's like it's dangerous and so and those people who follow that account are authorized to talk to one another like behind my back so to speak yeah so that it's possible for them to like intervene if they think it's like, kind of getting too much um and sometimes when if I'm like feeling a bit overwhelmed by like the strength of my ideas or my observations or then or like what's coming up um, then I'll like say, can I get a witness? Um, and I'll I'll at like one of the people who I who who I feel like comfortable witnessing me, and like all they have to do to witness it is like the tweet, and then I know that they're there. I know that they're accompanying yeah. me, and I yeah. know that they're sort of beside me on that journey. It's that thing of feeling seen, I guess, and seen and heard and, and acknowledged. 
Yeah, and when stuff that's coming up that feels bigger than you, you know, and I think that that's actually one of the things that, in my experience and talking to my like bipolar brethren, that one of the struggles we have is that that often you're dealing with transcendent experiences, like you're dealing with material stuff like that's just bigger than bigger than you, like bigger than the than your individual like ego that you can sort of consciously grapple with. It's not surprising that people feel like an a compulsion and an instinct to kind of share that burden by by kind of going out there with it with with that material. And I, you know, in one of my previous failed experiments at, um, at coping with this stuff, um, I once tried to uh, live like to crowdsource the interpretation of my field notes. Um, because like the material felt too much. So I so I so I basically just put it on my on my regular Twitter and like put all the stuff that felt like it was pouring out of me um and put it on Twitter with a bit like, how can we interpret this guy? It's like <laughs> which, wow, obviously, yeah. which obviously just caused massive consternation and like panic and um, <laughs> and like was so counterproductive to both like to my process and also to um like to the care that I was receiving. So and um, so, yeah, don't do that is my, is my <laughs> no advice. <tips>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, just amazing to hear this. But um, I don't kind of want to make it sort of full of platitudes. But I love the fact that you said, you know, you don't have to throw those thoughts on the bit of paper in the bin. You know, that even those experiences that are the most painful are not kind of completely wasted or completely useless that you can actually. And you are an amazing example of this can actually um from it distills something really amazing and beautiful and profound and like mind-blowing for me so yeah that's that's incredible to pick up on what you were saying about um you know basically turning turning those difficult experiences mm. into something um constructive like I don't know if you're aware of that you know that Japanese tradition where you take a broken pot and then you can see you, yeah yeah can see there's the one yeah like that's the image that I always have in my head for this stuff yeah. of like take the um take the broken pot and you know don't try and just turn, don't think you can turn it back into the virgin on broken pot like yeah. celebrate that break on and, and and you know allow it to glisten allow it to shine and I know that you know one of the things that the center is um like leading the way on is is kind of work around injustice and and, and inequality I think that that on a on a broad societal level if we were able to find a way to um to, to take away the shame of those broken places, to take away the shame of those breaks and those um, those those things that are, are painful and wrong and aren't working, are broken. Um, but to, to to find like the comparable gesture whereby you take you take the painful, the wrong, the difficult, the ill, and and you you turn that into it's the golden thread that yeah. yeah into the golden thread that that binds things together in a different way and forges anew I think that's the maneuver we need to perform like as people who believe in a social justice agenda yeah 100 percent with you and um as we've said you are a new writer in residence and we're really excited about that when this goes live we will have just published your first piece um and the first piece is called banished the roots of loneliness in mental health and I'd love it if you could just tell us a little bit more um, about the piece, where the idea for this and, and the wider series came from? Yeah, um, well, you know, I was, I was trying to reflect on this question and I think that um, I can actually see the roots of it in my, in my PhD, you know, which, which um, on the face of it was about a completely different subject, but 
um, you know, the title was Power in Doubt. You know, not 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 saying that power, that knowledge always equals power, but that, that how doubt can be a power too. And um, I think that actually, on a subconscious level, like the so the seeds were sown like through through that process, um, and that they they've been bubbling away in the in the background for for a really long time. Um, and I've been trying to square these like different circles through over a decade, really. You know, it is like a dot to dot, right? So you have all these different dots, and you collect your you collect your field notes. You collect this different evidence from your from your life and your observations, and like it's possible to join the dots to make different patterns. Yeah. Um, and so I've been collecting the dots for ages, but the constellation that I've picked out for you know for this first piece, which is called Banished, it struck me in 2019. Um, and honest, honest to God, I was out for a run, like having not been able to sleep the night before. Um, and suddenly, like it, it kind of hit me, like the the core of the the core of the argument. Um, and I immediately had to vomit in a bush, like genuinely. I just I just stopped where I was running and threw up in the bush oh my because gosh. it just it felt just too um, it felt too much. Basically, it felt too too grand, too. Um, pompous I think to um you know too too big and I so so basically like as you know like this the piece is um stepping back 200 years to frame loneliness and mental health in the context of the enlightenment and you know stepping back 200 years is um not what we usually do in mental health really yeah um and one of the things that people with bipolar um deal with is uh so, you know, so so psychiatrists would narrate it as, um, you know, someone becoming psychotic, um, you know, getting delusional beliefs, for example, that they're, they're Jesus or, you know, they can they they won't get killed if they get struck by a car or something like that. And that they they have a, an inflated belief in in their own powers and their own capability that doesn't reflect uh, reality. And if that's something that, um, you know, that you've struggled with or, you know, that, that's been in your experience, I think I think it can be quite difficult having big ideas because every time you have a big idea, it can feel like, oh, my God, is this, <laughs> is this yeah. a big idea that's going to, like, land me in hospital, basically? Yes. Okay. And, and, you know, on previous iterations of this idea, which, you know, I did present in, a, in an unfortunate way, it went down really badly, basically, um, because I, I'd constellated the the dot to dot in such a way in such a shape that um it yeah it looked like an image that 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 was um indecipherable to others like the, the stone was still had a lot of sharp edges yeah. and other people saw it as like a flint that was gonna you know be dangerous either to myself yeah. or to other people yeah. okay. so like I mean it's just so funny because on one level like it's just writing about history you know that's just history isn't it that's it's like really boring to most people <laughs> and like really abstract and you know theoretical and not relevant to people's lives so like it, you know it is obviously quite a hilarious proposition that, that anyone could think oh my god that's so dangerous that idea is so dangerous when mostly like predominantly it's irrelevant for everybody but I think the thing that makes it dangerous for me is that when you when you contextualize um loneliness or, or or any sort of difficulty that you're going through um especially as a you know marginalized person for for whatever reason um you change the solidity of the ground which we call normal right 
So you're problematizing what normal is and you're making normal feel contingent and recognizing the contingency of what is normal by viewing it as situated within these historical, social, economic, political forces. And that means that you can't go back to normal in the same way because normal isn't the same anymore. So yeah, like it means a lot to be the writer in residency because I think for me, like residency conveys like having a roof over your head, basically, like having a place of safety and shelter that um, hopefully will give me the sense of safety that I need to be able to like birth whatever this is um, like in a way that like is slightly more able to be held uh, like either by myself or, or others. Yeah amazing and we are super excited as well to, to see it and I'm so happy that this piece has finally been launched and yeah obviously obviously we would link to that in the show notes. I think what I found really interesting is where you're talking about the enlightenment, that reason was one of the key facets and reason was kind of on a pedestal of like, this is what makes humans humans. And this is what makes us different is we have this ability to be rational. And then mm. the concept of like, how does mental health and this idea of like madness work within this when you are not rational? We talk about madness simultaneously to say madness. Oh, that's mad. You know, I think like that's a, that's an idea that that is um, foolish or incompetent or, you know, to be dismissed in some way. And then obviously madness is also a word to refer to mental ill health as well. Um, and I obviously, I don't think that's the coincidence. I think that, um, you know, there is something about mental ill health that puts you at odds with, um, with rationality and reason. Um, but, you know, it's, I think it's really worth noting the context in which that emerged, whereby, um, you know, the Enlightenment movement was trying to wrestle uh, power away from the church, which had um, got, you know, over overinflated and very much overextended its, its power um, and, um, you know, got involved in all sorts of dodgy stuff at the time. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, the context is... The context is quite different now, isn't it? And, you know, in an age where you've got artificial intelligence uh, creeping up and in many respects, like outrunning human intelligence, the human capacity to reason, is it really a sensible thing to define the human race and define our point of difference as reason? Like, I don't think it is. I really don't. Um, and you know, if we're going to flourish as a, as a society and to, you know, overcome the, some of the biggest uh, challenges that, that, we're, that we're facing, like particularly around climate collapse and, um, you know, the radical reshaping that's required to, 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 deal with all of, to deal with all of that, you know, I think that we're going to be forced um, and like maybe unlocked actually to to reconfigure like to, to not put reason on the pedestal and, and and not to kind of make um this often quite elitist connection between um like scientific rationality and um like a very materialist very literal very driven by literalism um world that that you know basically we've got we've got quite stuck in a lot of the in a lot of the problems that we're that we're that we're facing and I think to get unstuck we're going to have to shuffle the scrabble deck 
um, and bring out some of those tools around faith, humor, um, instinct, like the unknown, um, and like have more curiosity about them, give them a seat at, a at the table. Yeah, wow. Um, there's so much there, and I genuinely could carry on this conversation forever because um, I just I just love to pick your brain. Um, but we will stop it there. But I would just recommend to everyone, please do go ahead and read this piece. I just absolutely love the way that Amy has managed to take these, um, yeah, like sociological and historical concepts um, and write about them in a way that both, um, yeah, brings to bear on on mental health, but also with kind of humour and wit and, and you're weaving in your own lived experience and how you've come to this place. I just love that. So um, Amy, thank you so much. For speaking it's my to pleasure. Today. Thank you very it's much for amazing. having me. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoyed the episode. You can read Emmy's piece by visiting our website. And if you enjoyed reading her piece or you want to join us in the fight for equality in mental health, please donate now at www.centreformentalhealth.org.uk slash donate. See you next time.